Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Bob Paul with thoughts on improving your marriage. And when you're on the same team, there's only two possible outcomes. You both win or you both lose, period, end of story. There is no such thing as a win-lose outcome in marriage ever. It's purely an illusion from the pit of hell. You're teammates and you win together or you lose together. And it's a very simple process. Um, And it's amazing how much the enemy is skilled at getting us to square off as adversaries, to create power struggles and all the things that ultimately take us all out. Bob Paul, next. If you were to give today's discussion a title, it could easily be Marriage 101, How to Improve in 2024. Our guest is Dr. Bob Paul, Vice President of Focus on the Family's Marriage Institute and co-author of three books, including his latest with Dr. Gary Smalley titled, Nine Lies That Will Destroy Your Marriage and the Truths That Will Save It and Set It Free. Whether you're a newlywed or a marriage veteran, I think you'll find much food for thought in today's discussion. Dr. Paul, how did the Lord lead you into this area of ministry? You know, it's interesting. I, I I didn't initially feel called to this. Um, I wasn't aware of a call uh, in my early days as a Christian, which didn't happen until my 20s. Uh, so I was doing all sorts of other things. Uh, but I have a ba- family background. And one of the things that Greg Smalley and I have in common is we both come from families that were very active in the field. Greg's in the Christian world, mine in the secular world. Um, so, so at, at some point, the Lord actually grabbed hold of me and took me in another direction and said, hey, I want, you know, basically, I want you to go to school. I want you to, uh, to serve people directly. And I wasn't sure if I was being called to the pulpit or to, to counseling, but I, ultimately, it became clearer and clearer that he was calling me to a counseling ministry. Uh, a little ways down that road, I got connected to Greg Smalley and then to his dad, Gary, and uh, we started this ministry that uh, um, it was now almost 25 years ago. We've had several names, more, more recently, um, the National Institute of Marriage. But 10 years ago, uh, Greg was at Focus on the Family, and we ended up merging with Focus and became a part of that program and just continued what we were doing with Focus, and it has continued to grow and bless many, many people. Well, thank you for that introduction, and uh, your, your books, The Institute, as you mentioned, uh, and, and so much that you have thought deeply about in terms of marriage, really uh, indicates uh, to those who are married an intentionality about approaching marriage, about improving their marriages. That may seem obvious, but you're, as we begin to talk, effort is required for a marriage to flourish. It, you can't just set it on cruise control. Bill, I wish I wish everybody knew that. It's amazing how many people, um, and I probably was one of them uh, early in my marriage. We've been married a long time now, my wife and I, Jenny. But um, uh, you know, you get married and you, you don't realize. I mean, you think that okay, we got this now covered. Now we've got to get on to to our careers and to raising a you know raising a family and 
and just the details of everyday life. And it's easy to get distracted and not realize you put it on autopilot. And marriages just don't generally do well on autopilot. They need to be nurtured and attended to with, as you said, intentionality, if you really want them to thrive. So, yeah, I wish more people understood that before it was a problem. So it is so easy to take our marriages for granted that things are going well. Oh, so easy. and And it's probably more common than not. Um, it's not something that I think the average person in our culture has been taught to think differently about. I, I think that the information's out there, but but more of the people that I encounter um, don't really think in terms of they think that the marriage is good if it doesn't require effort. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and, and that's not realistic. You're going to crash and burn eventually under those circumstances. Well, obviously, everything that, that you write and talk about has a, a biblical, a Christian basis. And I'm wondering, perhaps it's too much to cover in one conversation, but are there some guiding biblical principles that, that, that really inform all of our marriages, those of us who are believers in Jesus? Well, you know, I think there really are. Um, I think that for that, for this discussion to be meaningful, it really needs to be put in context of the fact that, you know, God designed things to work a certain way in life and in the world. Um, and we have an enemy that is determined to destroy it and destroy us. So um, a lot of what what needs to happen to, um, to be able to be in line with God's design is to be aware of the forces that are trying to take us in another direction, deceive us, to get us off track. So I'd say one of the most basic biblical principles that I know of um, is that God is a God of unity, and he designed us to be in unity with him. Then once we get married, to be in unity with our spouse. The enemy knows that and is determined to get us off track. And what he likes to do is to put us at odds with one another to find a way to get us to square off. Our differences are going to bump. There's going to be situations where we feel differently about one thing or another or different priorities or different preferences or all the things. And the enemy has a heyday with that. And what he likes to do, being our enemy, is to get the eyes off of him. And if he can encourage us to see our spouse as the enemy and we square off as adversaries, he wins. Um, And the the basic biblical truth that I want to, to highlight is that by God's design, marriage is a team sport. And when you're on the same team, there's only two possible outcomes. You both win or you both lose, period, end of story. There is no such thing as a win-lose outcome in marriage ever. It's purely an illusion from the pit of hell. You're teammates and you win together or you lose together. And it's a very simple process. Um, And it's amazing how much the enemy is skilled at getting us to square off as adversaries, to create power struggles, and all the things that ultimately take us all out. I'm wondering, too, right at the top here, uh, can you talk about the importance of keeping Christ at the center of the marriage, how that is best accomplished in terms of, I mean, God's Word, Christian community? Yeah, in real practical, pragmatic-type terms, the reality is that we really we really aren't capable of living apart from God. Uh, I mean, my, my, my very breath 
is not something that I have any control over, my life itself. So to ignore God or to not have God in the middle of the equation with us is a setup for disaster. Uh, matter of fact, I'm pretty clear that um, the reason that I need a savior more than anything is because left to my own devices, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm riding straight toward hell. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not capable of pulling this off on my own. So the most basic thing I need to do is surrender my life to the Lord and let him be the Lord. Let him be in charge because I need him to save me from me more than anything. I mean, that is what causes my sin. When I, and when I follow the illusion that I'm capable of doing this on my own, I'm, I am running headlong toward a problem. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty foundational. It's pretty basic. I, I am nothing without him. And I need him at the helm. I need him at the controls, not me. And, and just right at the top here, too, uh, Dr. Paul, the, the role of prayer in a marriage in, I mean, it, it, it's not a, a cure-all, but, but how important is it that the, that the couple prays together regularly? You know, one of the sad things that we see from research is that very, very few Christian couples pray regularly together. And I think that is, it's such a shame because it's such an incredibly powerful uniting point. And really prayer at its best is communication with God. And I know that one of the things that Jenny and I, because we we have learned to pray together a lot, um, it's a mistake to think that prayer is primarily talking unless we think that what we have to say is more important than what God has to say. I've learned that for me, 80% of my prayer life is listening to God and listening for his, his intervention, his direction, um, his love, his guidance. Um, so yeah, Jenny and I, we, we pray together. And part of that is to really be mindful to be trying to hear God's will and his desire and his direction for us as a couple, not just for us individually. So if you don't pray, you miss out on all of that. I mean, you really you really shortchange yourself. Well, Dr. Bob Paul is my guest today on His People. He's the vice president of Focus on the Family's Marriage Institute. Uh, he's co-authored three books. Uh, his most recent uh, with Dr. Greg Smalley is Nine Lives That Will Destroy Your Marriage and the Truths That Will Save It and Set It Free. And I, I don't know if we'll be able, probably won't be able to get through all nine of these lies, uh, Dr. Paul, but uh, hopefully uh, s- several of them. And and uh, I, I'm wondering, just to kind of ask you the question this way is there you've got them numbered one through nine is there one that we should start with should we start with the first one or is there one that you want to make sure we don't miss as we try to improve our marriages in 2024 you know, we, we, we easily can start with the first one you know they're all they're really not ranked in order of importance that they, they don't all apply to everybody okay uh, matter of fact, we started off writing the seven lies that will destroy your marriage, and then we came up with two more that we really didn't want to miss, and then the publisher got frustrated saying, hey, I know where this is going. This is going to be the 13 lies that will destroy your marriage. And uh, we find said, no, 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 we'll, there's more, but we'll stop at nine. But th- they don't really apply to everybody. They, they, but I'm sure that that many of them apply to most people in mm-hmm. some form or another because they're there's They're sent to us from all sorts of unsuspecting sources. Well, the first one, then, the primary reason to get married, and this is very common, certainly in the culture, but uh, obviously it's we live in the culture, so it's going to be in the Christian community as well. The primary reason to get married is to experience greater happiness and fulfillment. You're saying that's, that's, that's a lie. 
Well, yeah, you know, because, I mean, I don't want it to sound like we're killjoys, because <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you, I, I got to tell you right now, Bill, I like happiness, okay? And, and I go. figure more is better than less. We're not anti-happy. But if happiness is the measure of success, you're set up for a problem. Because, first of all, there we live in a fallen world, and there are so many things that occur on a regular basis that take us to any place other than happy. But if you believe that happiness is the measure of success for your marriage, you know, you, you're, you're anticipating that happiness will be always maintaining and growing. And if it's fading, the marriage is fading. If it's gone, the marriage is gone. Well, there are circumstances that are, like I said, anything but happy. So the reality is that happy, you know, the pursuit of happily ever after is really a fairy tale. Fairy tales begin once upon a time. They end and they all lived happily ever after. And this that's not the real world. So what I realized when I looked at my marriage, because I believed it, I was looking for happily ever after mm -hmm. when I married Jenny, that I really wasn't choosing my happily ever after partner. I was choosing my journeying partner. This is the person that I'm going to walk through life with come what may. And we've had lots of happy and we've had lots of challenges, sometimes our own mistakes within the marriage, sometimes circumstances outside that we wouldn't have wished on anybody. But that's kind of normal in this world. So um, it was a big shift for me to realize that Jenny is my my journeying partner, not the person that I experienced, you know, never ending happiness with. And there's so much more which could be said, but I want to ask you uh, uh, several more that we can fit in here. In Christian marriage, this is the second one in your book, uh, Nine Lies That Will Destroy Your Marriage and the Truths That Will Save It and Set It Free, uh, is, uh, of course, the two become one flesh, the Scripture says, uh, as, as uh, husband and wife come together. Obviously, there is that belief that, because you are now one, that you have the, uh, with God's help, God's grace, the ability to overcome obstacles because you're an amazing unit, a loving unit, uh, one flesh, and that, again, that sounds very good, uh, and yet you're saying at least there's a misunderstanding there on some level. Oh, absolutely. And part of it is just with the language. I mean, you know, this is this is translated from the original language into English. And one of the problems we have is that the word one has multiple meanings. And I think, Bill, you were speaking to really what the essence of the true meaning is. It's about being in unity, about being one in mind, one in spirit, one in purpose, not one in being. Um, because what happens is that people mistakenly think that they are supposed to become one, but because they don't know what that means, if they believe it's the number one, we're set up. I mean, Jenny and I are as different today as we've ever been, and we've been married for 43 years. We've had a lot of time together. We've influenced one another in many ways, but she's still fully Jenny, and I'm still fully Bob. Um, but we are one in spirit and in purpose, and, one, and there's lots of things that are set to confuse us. Like, I'll give you an example. Um, I have a real disdain for the unity candle in marriage ceremonies. Matter of fact, I can almost barely stand to go to marriages at weddings anymore because of, you know, the, the stuff that I see people experiencing, and I feel like they're setting them up to need me later in life as a marriage therapist, um, they're sending them down the wrong road. So here's the problem. You've got these three candles, and it's a beautiful symbol. You've got the two smaller candles that represent the individuals and the larger center candle. Okay, so what happens is, you know, the, the, the couple lights the individual candles representing themselves, 
And then they light the center candle. And then what do they do? They go and they each blow out the candle. And, and that is such a setup for disaster because um, there are truly now three entities, the, the husband, the wife, and the relationship. But of those three, only two are eternal, the husband and the wife. Jesus made it perfectly clear that we will not be married in heaven. So that symbolism suggests that you ignore yourself as individuals and all of those differences that God created and God ordained, and now make the marriage the most important thing. And that is a setup for difficulty because it goes against God's design. Our marriage needs to support me as an eternal being and Jenny as an eternal being. And certainly the marriage needs to be attended to intentionally, as we said earlier, really focused on and nurtured, but so do the people. And, uh, uh, and with all of our differences in play. So th those are some of the things around this idea of oneness that can really trip people up if they're not, you know, heads up about it and mindful. I don't know if this is a good place or not to, to bring this up, but I think of Ephesians chapter 5, it talks about that, that the Christian marriage is, is really a representation of Christ and the church. So there is a, a symbolic nature of the marriage symbolizing, in a sense, uh, the gospel. Absolutely, yes. And we, we actually, we talk about that quite a bit in our work. Matter of fact, in Nine Lies, we've got a diagram uh, we actually show a diagram of what a healthy marriage looks like, and one of the and and certainly the covenant and the importance of the the sacredness of that union as it was created between us and our groom Christ uh, as the church. You know that that's it's central there, but it's it's interesting because if you ask most people how would they draw a picture of a healthy marriage, they haven't got a clue. We actually provide a simple diagram that's got two stick figures and and uh, and four circles and says this is what you want to be striving toward. And many of the people we work with look at that little simple diagram and go, "Oh my gosh, I wish somebody had showed me this years ago. That would have made so much things, so many things easier." To to, to remember that uh, that ultimately it's pointing to to that to Christ and the church. Absolutely, yes. And that, and that Christ needs to be in the center of that, as does our, our sacred covenant like he made with us. He says three times in Scripture, I will let never leave you nor forsake you. Well, the, the third uh, lie that you talk about in your book, a, a misunderstanding but major one, you hear this all the time, either true love is a feeling— and, and certainly, you'd have to say, well it, well, it is, but then at the same time, you also hear, I think you particularly hear this in the Christian world, love is a decision, it's not a feeling. And yet you're saying that both of those are sort of true and sort of misunderstandings, right, at the same time. Well, it's, it's, it's neither apart from the other. It is really both. I mean, honestly, love is a feeling. I've had lots of feelings of love, and they're really nice feelings, and I like that, and I want more, not less. Yeah. But love is not just a feeling. If love was just a feeling, if the feeling fades, then obviously I need to go find it somewhere else, right, which a lot of people do. Love is also about that covenant, about that commitment, so it's really both and. Um, and, I'll, and the people on the commitment side oftentimes basically poo-poo the idea that the feelings matter. Well, feelings were created by God, and they certainly matter, and they were purposeful. They were created to be purposeful and useful to us. 
but but commitment is incredible is incredibly important also it's it's a lot about us being people of our word people of integrity and creating a secure place for one another so we really can open up and allow ourselves to know and be known and be on that lifelong journey of getting to know each other which is what the essence of an intimate connection really is anyway and Number four, sacrifice is the key to a godly life and marriage. And people hearing that, I mean, you think obviously there's a, it seems like there's a good bit of truth in that, but you're saying something's not complete there. Well, um, sacrifice is the key. I mean, is a, is a key part of our faith, certainly. Um, the problem is many people believe that it means sacrificing who they are, mm. that somehow we need to, to make, the, the the needs the the person of others more important you know like you see that acronym often uh, joy um jesus others and uh, you as last well I, I see that you know we see that as being really deeply problematic um because each of us are equally important at, to to the world and to the Lord as anybody else. So it's really, I don't want to ever be in a position to choose between me and my wife. Uh, I want to choose me and my wife. Both of us matter. And um, so sacrifice is true, but we, we look at sacrifice more in, in lines of an investment. We make an investment of our time. We make an investment of our energy, our love, and so forth into the world, into others. With the idea that that investment is of value, that's otherwise the gift would be of, of little value. It's only as valuable as the as what you're giving is, but it's also designed in God's economy to grow and to multiply. It's never reductionistic. It's never the two become one, and which is you know the two become one, and now you've got less. Uh, the beautiful symbolism of that is when a husband and wife come together in a sexual union and and conceive, and now the two become three, because that's how God's economy works. When you invest into the world, it grows into something bigger. So the sacrifice isn't about giving something away of no value and having it drop away and be less. It's about investing into what you've been given into the world. And we want we need to be blessed. God, God says in Genesis that we are blessed in order to be a blessing. But we but the blessing is supposed to touch us too. He wants us blessed, just like we want our children blessed. And, and perhaps at this point too, in the in the context of sacrifice, Dr. Paul, people might be thinking of Ephesians uh, chapter five, uh, verse twenty four, twenty five. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. There, there is a, a strong picture of. Of sacrifice in that verse absolutely i mean jesus i mean and if 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 someone i love or maybe even someone i don't even know is about to step off the curb and get hit by a bus uh it may be a complete uh reflection of my character and my calling to to move the person out of the way and take the hit you know i mean jesus really took the hit for us and uh, it's, it doesn't mean that it's all about you. I mean, I'm prepared to be, I want to be the man that God created me to be. And sometimes the sacrifice is extreme. But I think in a marriage, um, generally, that's a fairly um, last resort type of thing that a for a marriage to be healthy, everybody is being well attended to and well cared for. 
Another lie, a uh, misunderstanding that you touch on, but you hear it so commonly, is that our differences are irreconcilable. And yet, you say uh, the differences aren't the main problem, really, in the marriage. Matter of fact, we're come, we've come to the conclusion that differences are actually never the problem in marriage. Um, because the differences were created by God on purpose, with purpose. The problem is when you don't know how to value the differences and adequately utilize them uh, as they were intended. You know, if you think of a sports team, um, if if all the members of the team had the same strengths and the same weaknesses, you'd have a lousy team. A great team learns learns to knows to how to learn to play to each other's strengths and cover each other's weaknesses, and that you're you're counting on there being gift, different gifts and different different skills. So all of those are critical, and the differences to get rid of the differences um, immediately puts you at odds with the Creator who placed them there. And I think you point out, and I love this phrase that our differences are meant to be a blessing to each other. Uh, they're meant to be a blessing to each other. They're meant to be a blessing to the world, and they were intended. They were intentionally placed there by God for a purpose. And we, I don't want to. I don't want to in any way be at odds with my Creator, or in any way suggest that He made a mistake either in the way He made me or the way He made my wife. Well, the book is Nine Lies That Will Destroy Your Marriage and the Truths That Will Save It and Set It Free. And my guest is Dr. Bob Paul. He's vice president of Focus on the Family's Marriage Institute. And well, uh, Dr. Paul, as we wrap up today, uh, something of a recap, where would you advise us? Where should we begin to improve our marriages in 2024? I mean, if we just, if you, if we were to take perhaps one step in, in the right direction. Um, I think that, that the main thing Um, that we want to be focused on is that for a marriage to be great, it's got to work for both people. And if, if either one of you or both of you are less than, than happy about the way things are going on, the way things are functioning to take the time this year to really flesh what that is and try to find a way to make the the relationship work for both people. Uh, And so often it becomes me against you or my preferences against yours. And, if you, if we could start there, I think that can that's where we start in the work that we do with couples that that can that can overcome a whole world of hurt. And the resources that you have at Focus on the Family at the Marriage Institute there, how can people uh, access those? Well, a couple of different ways. One, if, if you're needing crisis help, go to hoperestored.com, and that'll get you aware of our Hope Restored counseling program. If you just want basic uh, um, information and tips for how to make your relationship better, just go to focusonthefamily.com and then pull down the marriage menu, and you'll find a world of resources there. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Dr. Bob Paul, Vice President to Focus on the Family's Marriage Institute and co-author along with Dr. Greg Smalley of Nine Lies That Will Destroy Your Marriage and the Truths That Will Save It and Set It Free. Go to hoperestored.com or focusonthefamily.com. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Travis Dickinson on how our faith is strengthened in the midst of doubt and big questions. And I think the reason why it can be a very good thing overall is because there's so many good answers out there, and we just need to lean in and find those answers. And I think if we if we don't let it manifest in these other ways, 
and sort of hit it when it's just a matter of intellectual sort of uh, tension, then we can be led to truth, like I said, truth, knowledge, and a greater faith. That's tomorrow at the same time, right here on His People. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.